Entrepreneurs and businesses are a key partner in nearly all of Water for People's sanitation initiatives, and we don't believe that safely managed and affordable sanitation products and services can be delivered at scale without them. But building a successful sanitation enterprise, not to mention the entire market system that it's a part of, is often a messy and challenge-filled journey that is not discussed in enough detail within the sanitation sector. This podcast series features local small-scale sanitation entrepreneurs and the market system actors that collaborate with them, both to understand the challenges they faced, how they've overcome them and evolved their business model, and what they believe are the critical elements to expand the impact of businesses in supporting the public sector to deliver safely managed and inclusive sanitation services. Today, we will hear from Vincent Nturan Abo, Managing Director, and Ronald Sakaya, the Plant Manager of the Lubiji Treatment Plant of the National Water and Sewerage Corporation in Uganda. They are joined by Ivan Lugali, Sanitation Officer of Water for People in Uganda, and they will be discussing the partnership to produce poo briquettes in Kampala. Welcome, Vincent, Ronald, and Ivan. So thank you so much. I am here with Vincent, who is our Managing Director, as well as Ronald Sakaya, who is the Plant Manager at the National Water Treatment Plant in Luigi. So Vincent, what can you tell us about the briquette production plant? I mean, looking at what products are you producing and how is it made? Uh, thank you, Yvonne. Uh, regarding the briquette production plant, uh, basically we have uh, we have two products at the plant, and those are the stick briquettes and the honeycomb briquettes. Regarding uh, on how they are made, we have quite a number of raw materials, but the most significant uh, and which forms the basis of our partnership with National Water and KCCA is the fecal sludge. So during a uh, briquette production, one of the main components is, is fecal sludge, which of course uh, comes from human waste. We have uh, sludge stores, yeah, where we, we collect uh, the human waste. After collecting that human waste, we leave it for a while to dry. Of course, we keep turning it and ensuring that it dries properly. And then once it is dry, we transfer it to our briquette production plant. And that's the point where we start the carbonization process. So we have uh, a number of carbonization drums, or call them carbonizers. Yeah, where we use uh, manpower to light them up and then ensure that we fill them up and we cover. So the whole thing is to ensure that uh, we limit the oxygen that is in the drum. And as a result, when you do that, then you will have that char, or you can call it biochar, not ash, because the ash shows that there has been a lot of uh, a lot of oxygen in the drum. So. After that process, the process takes uh, takes about a day, and then after that, uh, we leave it to we leave it to cool down, which is an, also another twelve or thirty six hours. And when it has cooled, we just uh, open the drum and remove the biochar, which is black in color. So that is the carbonized sludge, yeah, that we we try to um, crush 
yeah, and make into very fine particles ready to mix it with other materials. So the other materials uh, are mainly charcoal dust. That's what we've been using, though we are also exploring other raw materials. But for charcoal dust also, we have to crush it and ensure that it is really in fine particles. We sieve it, and then after sieving it, we also mix it with the sieved uh, carbonized fecal sludge in the ratio of 60 to 40. So 60% is charcoal dust and 40% is fecal sludge. So we ensure that we mix them properly. After that, we have mixed them properly. Of course, we put in other other materials like uh, like clay and molars, yeah, which which work as which work as binders. And then we also have water, yeah, to mix them, yeah. All that ensuring that we perfectly mix that uh, uh, those those ratios very well for us to be able to have a perfect uh, briquette made out of them. So having mixed and then having mixed them properly, we, we put them, it, it, it will depend on what we're going to produce. If we are going to produce uh, uh, the honeycombs, we put them in the honeycomb machine. And then after that, we, we produce the honeycombs. If it is stick briquettes, then we put them in the in the stick machine, yeah, which we, which, which is also, which is, which is uh, operated manually, yeah, with a, a generator and then we extrude the, the stick briquettes. So after after that, whether it is the stick briquettes or honeycombs, they are transported to <clears throat> our drying racks for drying. For the stick briquettes drying, if it's good weather, drying will take like three days. And then for honeycombs, it can go up to seven days when the weather is good. So after drying, we definitely uh, measure. And then after measuring what, what has been dried, we pack it. We have uh, we have bags for stick briquettes, so we pack the the stick briquettes in bags and then uh, transfer them to the store, ready for sale. The same applies to honeycombs. So basically, that's the brief about the products we have and the process they go through, the processes we go through in order to get those products right away from raw materials to the production process up to when you have the final product. Thank you so much, Vincent, for that very elaborate um, insight into how the process of briquette production is. Now, I do realize that you have, you know, just joined, um, I mean, you joined what about, what about a year now? Have you made a year, I would imagine? No, it's just about, uh, it's about three, four, ah, four five months. <laughs> oh, great. But you see, four months. Okay, so um, so I, I do I do appreciate the fact that uh, maybe I know you've heard about the history of, of the place and and just how water for people moved um, right from you know the work that we were doing in the small towns in Lira, sort of having this big vision and saying why don't we bring the briquette plant into Kampala, given you know how big it was and also looking at the market for the fuel in Kampala. So we did decide, you know what, say in 2018, we said, let's start, let's set up. And for the past two years, all I mean, the work that has been focused on has really been about being able to have a facility in place, figuring out how do we run it, figuring out how do we actually produce the fecal sludge briquettes. And I think, I mean, this, this financial year as water for people, of course, we've 
we've really delved deeply into now actually running the plant and several challenges first previously. But I want to understand now what challenges um, are you particularly facing when it comes to the production, right? And what are those things that you're currently working to resolve? I will begin with the simpler challenges where we seem to have a lot of control. Uh, in, in the production process, one of the changes has been uh, with machines, yeah? Because you remember production was not consistent and because it was not consistent, some machines would remain, remain idle, maybe they corrode. So yeah. I think it has impacted on their on their performance. So mm. with time we started facing uh, intermittent machinery breakdowns, calling for repairs every now and then, yeah. and which was really uh, really, which was uh, really disturbing. You remember the month of March, month of April, and even June. So, uh, and of course, it would affect our our production in that you've just mixed, you've just had your mixture, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of, of the production, the machine breaks down. So, uh, there are some in, uh, components in that mixture, like molas, which you don't need to to mix and then leave it there for uh, for days. So meaning that if you come back and the machine has started working, you're bound to produce uh, substandard briquettes. So um, what we resolved to do was to revamp those machines, yeah, to uh, get away with redesigning them, remodeling them, to have a, a machine that can be more reliable. And that we did uh, in July last month. And right as I speak now, we have uh, a remodeled uh, stick extruder, yeah, which is really very nice, very speedy. Once you start production, you have started, so you don't expect any any uh, issues, any breakdowns, and the same applies to the honeycomb machine. Yeah, so that's that was one of the major issues that I found at the plant, machinery breakdowns. Then number two is to do with the raw materials. And the raw materials here, I'll be speaking about charcoal dust, and uh, fecal sludge. For charcoal dust, it's uh, it's basically about the inadequate supply. Uh, I attribute this to the first lockdown whereby people were seated at home. Maybe some household didn't have enough money to buy charcoal and other and other options of of uh, of uh, of energy. So they had enough time to learn and learn to innovate. So you'll find that most of the households started producing these round briquettes at a small scale. Of course, uh, the ratios might not be the right ones, the quality might not be the right one, but they started producing briquettes. Then after that, some uh, small village associations also uh, started producing some briquettes at a small community scale. And because of that, it has given it has created a lot of demand for charcoal dust. So where you would readily get big quantities of charcoal dust at a low price right now, everyone knows the value of charcoal dust. And because of that, when it comes to some of us who want it uh, in big quantities consistently, then we have started having issues of uh, not having the charcoal dust that we need when we need it. So of course, uh, as, as a solution, 
we had one supplier, so we are we are looking at different suppliers up to three, so that if one of them cannot give us maybe a hundred a hundred sacks or one ton, then maybe another person can be able to give us uh, to give us that quantity. So diversifying that supply to ensure that we can always have uh, that raw material when we need it. Then the, 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 the other raw material, as I said, is uh, the fecal sludge. Now, for the fecal sludge, you, are, you will realize that we are, we are at source. We are basically operating at the source of the fecal sludge. But the fecal sludge now, unlike charcoal dust, is a cumbersome raw material. In that, unlike charcoal dust, because if you if you are there waiting for charcoal dust and it comes like this, you can start production in the next two hours. Unlike uh, fecal sludge, fecal sludge, first of all, it has to first dry. So the planning around fecal sludge has to be very consistent. That's what I mean. So you must plan to dry the sludge. You must plan to show that it is transported to the production plant in real time. You must plan on how you are going to carbonize consistently if you're going to get the supply of carbonized fecal sludge any time that you need it. Because the moment you, 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 want to start, you want to start production and you don't have enough carbonized fecal sludge, then you, 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 you can't do anything about it. Because the process is long and the process is cumbersome. It needs a lot of time. It needs a lot of focus. And as a solution, that's, that's why I've gone back to uh, Going back to the sludge store and ensuring, first of all, of course, with Yvonne's support, ensure that the sludge store is in a good operating condition, whereby when the sludge is transferred there, then we are sure that it can dry, of course, with constant turning and turning. Then also ensuring that we have enough carbonizers to ensure that the moment we have this dry sludge, we carbonize it consistently. So because we have constant supply of dry sludge, then we also have constant, consistent carbonization every morning with the six carbonizers that we have. So that we create, so that we create a, an environment whereby the fecal sludge does not run out. So those days you find that you are going to start production and all you have is just maybe a 60 kgs of uh, carbonized fecal sludge. And if it's when it's when it's finished, then production cannot proceed unless you want to unless you want to try other raw materials. But at the moment, I want to ensure that I have stock holding of at least one ton of carbonized fecal sludge, so that it can support us during production whenever we want to start production. So other than um, the machinery breakdowns and the challenges with raw, with raw materials. Uh, the other issue may be uh, which is strategic, which is like medium to long term is about the drying space and storage. So of course, with increased capacity, with increased demand, we are bound to have issues with uh, the space that we have in terms of how how much stock, how many briquettes it can be able to dry yeah, in a given time. Because the capacity of that space at the moment cannot go beyond five tons. So that means if someone gives you an order of 10 tons and they want them in a week 
unless you have them in the store or unless you have part of that stock in the store then you're bound to fail on that order yeah so it is something that uh, of course as i said is strategic it's something that we need to continue thinking about in terms of uh, how we can resolve it uh, in terms of space what i did within our means and within the means of water for people's uh, was that I found six drying racks, so I increased them to eight. Yeah, so that creates uh, some more space for drying uh, for drying briquettes. For storage, uh, we still have that container which can hold up to up to like ten tons of briquettes. Yeah, it is spacious enough, but still also when when orders start coming in, we might think of having uh, a bigger storage. Yeah, Yvonne, are you still there? Yes, thank you so much, Vincent. Now, yeah. there are people who would say, but I mean, you're making fickle sludge briquettes, now you're talking about charcoal dust and it's actually a big challenge. So the question is, how do you, and it probably is going to get harder as we go ahead and as people look to you know, more energy efficient, and there's this push notch to cut down trees. So what does your production look like? Um, let's say maybe a year from now, um, five years from now, how will production look like for you? How do you think it will look like for you? Okay, in terms of quantities? It can be quantities in terms of, are you, are you also making efforts to have a shift in some of the raw materials that you're using? Do you hope to get greener? Oh, okay, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, thank you, Yvonne. By the way, uh, when I joined Water for People, because uh, I joined and I tried to understand uh, our mission, yeah, why we are here, what we are supposed to do for the communities and for the environment. So all of a sudden I saw we are using charcoal dust. Charcoal dust comes from charcoal, which comes from trees. So I was wondering now, for as long as we continue uh, you demanding the communities to give us charcoal dust and we encouraging deforestation. So, so for a while, it was disturbing me a bit. But I later on realized recently that even the charcoal dust that I was so much bothered about can run out and we might not do production because it is scanty, because people have uh, realized it's, it, it's, uh, it, its purpose. Yeah, they have realized that you can basically use it, yeah, to produce briquettes maybe for home use or even for sale, and that, and that prompted me to think of alternative raw materials. So of course, with the with support of Yvonne and Lynette, uh, we started trying out alternative raw materials, right from banana peels to sawdust, yes, uh, sugarcane peeling. So we are looking at alternatives that are sustainable, that are readily available. Like for instance, sawdust that we can start uh, researching on, yeah, in terms of what quantities we need, what ratios we need. If for instance, we are to, re are to replace uh, charcoal dust with sawdust, is it going to be the 60% or it's going to be higher, it's going to be lower. So yes, we are looking at alternative raw materials so that in maybe two, three, four years from now, we have shifted from 
only looking at charcoal dust and fecal sludge, but we are looking at fecal sludge and maybe other five different raw materials. And when, when this is done, we will ensure that whatever comes out, like for instance, we had samples uh, that were done of, uh, uh, that were done out of uh, sawdust, which were taken for laboratory tests. We ensure that whatever we, whatever, whatever samples we produce, they are taken for testing, yeah? And then from there, we try to, to see whether they can light as good as the briquette we've been producing or even better, who knows? So yes, that's something that really is very important in this in this enterprise because as you know, we rely on availability of raw materials. And let alone raw materials that are readily available, raw materials that are cost effective, raw materials that are impacting positively on the environment. Thank you so much, Vincent. Now let's cross over to the cells, right? Yeah. So you are producing. What what is your sales strategy for the briquettes? Uh, my my strategy for the briquettes uh, regarding sales was when I came on board uh, to identify individuals, communities, businesses, enterprises that can use our products. So my question was, who is the right person that can use these briquettes? Who is the right person that can use stick briquettes? Who is that person that can use honeycombs? So that's, that's what I started with, defining our customer. And then also going ahead to put different customer profiles, which profiles now informed me of which segments those customers fall in. So uh, subsequently, I came up with different segments like uh, poultry farmers. So I realized that because of, for instance, how the honeycomb briquette is made, it can, it can really support the poultry business. Because if, if someone has been using charcoal for instance and they are always they have to wake up at night every two three hours mm, to add more charcoal and you have a honeycomb briquette which can burn up to eight hours then that is something that can relieve the stress from this poultry farmer save on their costs and also give them uh, better returns yeah so then Having done that, I also went into stick briquettes and I realized that these stick briquettes, if we are here to conserve the environment, who are those uh, who are those entities, individuals that use the highest quantities of firewood, for instance? So I realized that if you go to schools, if you go to prisons, hmm, those refugee settlements, those people consume tons and tons of firewood. There are some schools which call, which spend up to 15 million Uganda shillings, 30 million Uganda shillings on firewood per term. Those are three months. So, and again, these are the same institutions which are uh, educating our children on environmental conservation. So I knew that if I enter a school and started with 
that line of environmental conservation, yeah, with a solution of them using briquettes to repress firewood, moreover, at a cheaper, at a cheaper price, then that, that would be a good deal for them. So I find that segment and from the schools I've interacted with, they are really positive and this is a segment that can really work for us. Then also uh, households, when you when you are selling charcoal, you, it definitely ends up in the households unless it's an institution that is buying. In as much as it is not easy to approach each and every household, but it's important that we continue growing the use of briquettes in households month on month, year on year. So we will go into the communities, do demonstrations, and ensure that we give them a good after sales service so that they can use these briquettes well and then also uh, refer other customers to us. So those those are three segments and of course you have other segments like uh, retail, which basically has supermarkets in them, which has uh, e-commerce platforms like Jumia, Safe Border. Mm. So my strategy is basically uh, rotating around those four, four to five market segments. Of course, each segment has a different, I have a different role of uh, approaching each segment. The way I approach the poultry farmers, is different from the way I approach schools, different from the way I approach supermarkets, the way I approach uh, individual household users. Thank you so much, Vincent. Of course, um, looking at, I mean, you've, you've talked about the sales strategy and, you know, and what, what you hope to do to be able to increase the sales. But someone would ask, I mean, besides having the poultry farmer, like let's say wake up, not having to wake up in the night, what else is your value proposition? Why should people buy these briquettes as opposed to all the others that are there in the market? And what problem does it solve for people? In terms of uh, in terms of the value the customer gets from our briquettes, uh, first of all, uh, the value is on first of all uh, the use. So in when 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 the customer is using our briquettes, how different yeah, is the user experience different from these other briquettes on the market? And when it comes to cost, how how different is it from other briquettes? So in most cases, when I'm engaging with my customers, I I explain value. Yeah, in terms of these two, their experience. The experience they will get by using our briquettes and of course at the end of the day how our briquettes can enable them to save on the cost so you'll find if if, you, if i begin with cost you find that yes we might all be selling at one thousand and maybe we might all be enabling the customer to save some money compared to firewood but then you find that because our production process is controlled, very well monitored, and our production process is based on quality. Yeah, 
well-defined ratios which you have to stick to based on research. Then you find that the customer benefits more from our brickets compared to these other, other brickets on the market. The other person might tell you three to four hours, but in actual sense, you find that within one hour, the brickets are just, they are just burnt and you just need to add more brickets. But for us, when we tell you three hours, it is three hours and they will spend three hours. So in terms of cost, that means that where you are going to be adding firewood, maybe after 45 minutes, after one hour, then you'll be taking two, two to three hours for you to, to add more briquettes. And this means that your food is already cooked. So instead of maybe using 5,000, you find yourself using 3,000 shillings to cook a meal, yeah? Then also on, on, on the user experience, how long does it take to light? How easy, if, if for instance, it's a first time customer and you've given them a, a demonstration, maybe a video, an audio or a flyer, but in actual sense, what does that customer go through in order to, to light those briquettes? So the user experience. So you find that my briquettes will be will be easier to light. So whereas you, you have to struggle with others, so you find that mine are easier to light as long as you have followed the instructions on the fryer, in the audio, in the video, you'll be, they'll be easier to light. Yeah, so it will catch faster and you'll see the heat much stronger in just a short time. And throughout that cooking experience, of course, you'll not see any smoke, mm? you'll not see some gases being em em emitted, funny smell, as well as seeing cleanliness around the cooking place. Yeah, so in terms of value, that's what I used to to explain to the customers in terms of the user experience and in terms of how they will, how our briquettes can save their cost in terms of cooking. Thank you so much, Vincent. Now, um, I know it, I mean, it's FICOS large. So can you give some insights on, have you met people who say, oh, I would I, I, like, I don't want to use the briquettes because of the fact that they have FICOS large. And then also what other challenges have you faced when it comes to sell to to marketing and selling these briquettes? Uh, yes. Uh, <clears throat> when it comes to FICOS large, uh, definitely there are some customers we have different sets of customers. There are customers who will not mind what the brickets are made, are made of, as long as they are working for them. Then there are those inquisitive customers who will ask you, but these brickets have worked very, very well for me. What are they made of? What are these brickets we made of? Then there are those who are saying, for as long as they are made out of a sludge, excuse me, I'll never use your brickets. And I have one customer like that but i my understanding that those customers who are hesitant to use our briquettes because they are made from fecal sludge don't appreciate the entire process yeah through which these briquettes are made they just don't appreciate the process they don't understand the process otherwise people might think that you just get human waste maybe 
carbonize it and make briquettes. That's what an average person will think out there. So, but for those customers, like for there, there are those who, who might have taken through the process briefly, hmm, how the treatment is done and ensure that there are no pathogens and all that. So for those customers who have understood the process, but some of them have come, yeah, have come to the plant, they have really understood that they have nothing to do with fecal sludge because at the end of the day, that carbonized fecal sludge that doesn't have anything to do with it's it's just so 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 different from human human waste. It's just like the way you the, the way you could get any any biodegradable waste and just carbonize it, whether it's banana peelings or sawdust. So the challenge with fecal sludge, of course, it's 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 there, but it's not really so significant uh, to affect our our marketing and to affect our sales. The challenge that I have encountered in in selling briquettes is basically to do with adoption, mindset change. Uh, someone has used firewood from the time they were born, and maybe they are fifty. Someone has used. Someone has used chap. Yeah. He was born in a family. The, the first thing he saw was a, a sack of charcoal, and that's what they are still using. So mindset change. And I even saw it in, in my own home. Hmm? The maid has been, I've been using charcoal, and I bring my sack of briquettes. After one week, I see it's not reducing. The charcoal is reducing. But you see, that's a process that I'm, that one I'm in control. So I said, okay, maybe she doesn't. Uh, she didn't understand. So I illustrated again. Uh, same thing keeps happening. I see charcoal reducing briquettes. So I said, okay, since you have remained stubborn, because I'm in control of the process, I will not buy charcoal. I will continue buying briquettes. So let me see whether you're going to use your salary to buy charcoal. <laughs> and he, she just learned the, the hard way. And guess what happened? When she... And she started to exclusively use briquettes. At the moment, she's like our brand ambassador. <laughs> so all them, all, 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 the, all her made friends around, those people interact with say, hey, you people, you don't know. These briquettes have, she tells them how, how, it, how they have saved her, her time. In those days she would be washing and she has to keep checking on the charcoal, adding on the charcoal that this time she can start washing and she doesn't mind that the briquettes will run out. So it's just a matter of hmm, a shift in attitude hmm, <laughs> that is in some cases letting us down. But I know with continued sensitization, the more the more people get sensitized, the more people get every 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 day we add a customer on board, I get happier. Every time I see an organization getting interest in our briquettes, because that means that we, con we shall continue converting more and more people to the briquettes. Yeah, so basically those, that is the main challenge in selling briquettes. Otherwise, Think, those, yeah. those who have used it can testify that the moment everyone understands how to use these briquettes and appreciates them, they tell us we don't know how we will satisfy that demand. Okay, yeah. well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad about that. So 
where do you see what are yours where do you see the brigade sales targets in the next year let's just look at the next year so i i hope of beginning with the first quarter of financial 2022 mm. i hope to close that first quarter selling a minimum of 50 metric tons okay and the moment i i close quarter one of 2022 selling 50 metric tons then it will be obvious that i will close 2022 or quarter four with 100 metric tons and above wow those are very ambitious targets and, and uh, by quarter one of 2022 when you when when we go to uh costs i hope to be covering all my operating costs all my costs so gone will be the days of Margaret asking me, by the way, Vincent, you want us to pay your workers. How, do you know how much you have on the account? So by that time, she will definitely know that I have money on the account. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, those are very ambitious targets and we wish you all the best. And we know, I mean, we do, we've seen um, the progress in really just a few months that you've been around and we do believe that you'll definitely get there. Now, finally, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to get into this business? I mean, we have so many different viewers listening in. What is that one thing that you would tell someone who wants to get into business, into this kind of business? Oh, I would encourage, I would encourage uh, those people who want to join this business. Uh, first of all, first get training. Try to understand uh, how the bricket business works. Mm. So understand how it works because you need to understand the raw materials you are going to use. And of course, I guess different raw materials. Don't rely on one raw material. So understand the raw materials you are going to use. Understand the kind of people you are going to work with. Understand the machines. And that is going to be uh, uh, related to the business case that you have. So you must have a business plan. So you start by having a business plan uh, saying, for instance, that I want to be producing two tons of briquettes. Those are 2000 kilograms of briquettes uh, in a month. So with these two, two, if I want to produce two, two, two tons of briquettes in a month, what do I need? The nature of the machine, the number of workers, the raw materials, where you're going to get them from, uh the production area hmm? is it rented is it an own is it owned so you continue and ensure that everything that relates to the production and sale of of, of these briquettes is in your business plan right away from raw materials to the production machines workers hmm? where are you going to be drying them what kind of dryers are you going to be using are they solar dryers or what what space do you need of course based on your target less of two tons what drying space do you need what storage space do you need still based on your two tons where do you sell these two tons are you going to be selling to the communities are you going to be selling to institutions like hospitals like schools yeah then also in in your business plan what is the motivation for this business are you in this business to just make money or 
you are you are also going to be like water for people who are in this business to make money but also conserve the environment yeah? ensuring that the briquettes business is, is generating enough revenue to sustain itself and if possible a surprise to invest in other social projects but at the same time contributing to environmental conservation okay thank you so much vincent um we are extremely grateful for your insights into you know the fico sludge uh briquette businesses and we appreciate your partnership and your efforts in the sanitation market system development thank you so much and i wish you a good day thank you yvonne have a good day too thanks so much for listening in we really hope you enjoyed this conversation from the washroom stay up to date on all the content we post by following us on social media at water for people